Okay, so we are in Daniel chapter 8, the ram, the goat, and the little horn. We are journeying through here in the book of Daniel. Very excited to talk about uh, this chapter today, and I think it's important to kind of lay the setting of this vision that Daniel receives here in Daniel chapter 8. So let's begin. Let's look at Roman numeral 1, the setting of Daniel's vision. Verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. I looked in the vision, and while I was looking, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam. And I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside the Ulai Canal. Okay, so Daniel was in Babylon, which is roughly 50 miles south of Baghdad, Iraq, at the time he had this vision. It's just important to understand the setting. Where is he getting this revelation? He's in Babylon. In the vision, he sees himself in the city of Susa which is 200 miles east of Baghdad in Iran. So he's not physically in Susa. He's in Babylon, but in the vision he sees himself in Iran, in this citadel of Susa. Today, it's actually a city called Shush. So it still exists as a city. It has a different name. And it was located in the province of Elam, which was a southwestern Persian province, which kind of uh, covered the border of Iraq into Iran. Okay. Letter B, understanding the setting of the vision is important because it highlights the fact that the storyline being set up here is a predominantly Middle Eastern-centered storyline. Here, we don't really shy away from the reality that this storyline is a Middle Eastern storyline. The fact that though Daniel is in Babylon, he sees himself in this vision in this Iranian city, it's so important and crucial to the storyline. We can't just skip over that. What Daniel sees in the vision is directly knit to the geographic setting within the vision. It's on purpose. God literally showed Daniel himself in Susa on purpose. Here's an end times prophecy hint. Take this or leave it, whatever. I think it's helpful. When the Bible names the names of specific geographical locations, they're not symbolic for other nations. That's a very simple tool, but it's a helpful tool when you're studying the end of the age passages because it, it's naming these cities, these regions, these provinces on purpose because it's, it's setting up the foundation for where the end time drama is going to take place, the key leaders, the key regions in which it's going to take place. So we've got to understand that when it names a name like Susa, the province of Elam near the Ulai Canal, it's, it's speaking of a literal place. So we've got to have that in mind as we study the rest of this passage. All right, Roman numeral two, the ram and the goat, verses three through eight. So this is what Daniel sees here in this vision. He was beside the Ulai Canal, and behold, a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, with the longer one coming up last. I saw the ram budding westward, northward, and southward. And no other beast could stand against him, nor was there anyone to rescue him from his power, but he did as he pleased and made himself great. 
While I was observing, behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the entire earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a prominent horn between his eyes. He came up to the ram that had the two horns, which I seen standing in the front of the canal, and rushed at him in his mighty wrath. And I saw him coming up beside the ram, and he was enraged at him. And he struck the ram, smashed his two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand him. So he hurled him to the ground and trampled on him. But there was no one to rescue the ram from his power. Okay, verse 8. Then the male goat made himself exceedingly great. But once he became powerful, the large horn was broken, and in its place, four prominent horns came up toward the four winds of heaven. So Daniel sees this crazy vision, right? We've got a ram, we've got a goat, we've got some horns. What the heck does this mean? Daniel sees this crazy vision, and literally the angel Gabriel is sent to explain the vision's meaning to Daniel. Praise God that he would actually send messengers to explain the challenging visions that we have. I believe we can contend for that in our own lives. And if we, if the Lord gives us dreams and visions, that he wants us to have the understanding of those dreams and those visions so we can ask for those things. He tells Daniel that the ram with two horns represents the Medo-Persian Empire. Look at this, Daniel 8, verse 20. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. So that's really, really easy to discern what that's speaking of because in the, the actual text of the scripture, the angel says the two horns represent the Medo-Persian empire. Daniel saw this empire budding westward, northward, and southward, which was a prophecy of where this empire would spread. So again, that's why it's so crucial that we understand the setting of Daniel, where he's at when he's having this vision, where he sees himself, because when the vision says that I see him budding northward, southward, and westward, that it's it's literally talking about the surrounding regions to where Daniel was. It's just an important fact. The Medo-Persian Empire not only conquered Babylon, but it also conquered much of the Middle East. Letter B, Gabriel told Daniel that the male goat coming from the west was the kingdom of Greece. He literally says that. Take a look at here. Daniel 8, verse 21. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece. He says that word for word. Now, here's an important fact. The Greek word for, for Greece there is Yavon, which would have been understood to those originally reading it. They would have understood this region to be Western Turkey into Greece. So this is including not just Greece as you and I would understand it, but it's Greece and Western Turkey. And then Daniel saw him coming from the West. And so again, Western Turkey into Greece, if Daniel sees himself in Susa, and then he sees this goat coming from Western Turkey and Greece, that is coming from the West. So coming from the West without touching the ground actually speaks to the speed of the Greek Empire's conquest. It's talking about Alexander the Great. Gabriel said that the prominent horn between the goat's eyes represents the first king, which the future would prove to be Alexander the Great. Literally, that horn is speaking of Alexander the Great in his speedy, efficient conquest throughout the entire Middle East. Now, 
Though Alexander wasn't necessarily the first king of Greece, he was the one that was most prominent and actually put Greece on the map. So in a sense, he was kind of like the first prominent king or leader of Greece. The Greek Empire dominated the Persian Empire, and we see that when when the goat strikes the ram and smashes his two horns, Medo, you know, the two horns representing the Mede and Media and Persian Empire. After the large horn was broken, which is talking of Alexander the Great dying, four other horns took his place to extend the empire, and this is talking about that literally when Alexander the Great died. The Empire of Greece was divided into four main, there was a lot of different smaller provinces, but there were four main sections, if you will, to this empire. Alright, Roman numeral three. So now we see history reaching into the end of the age. So everything discussed up to this point, though it was a future reality to Daniel when he was receiving the message, we can now look back in history and observe it from our perspective. However, when the the angel Gabriel explained the vision to Daniel. He said three separate times that this vision has end time implications. So if you look specifically in verses 9 through 14, we can see that. Just like in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, the Lord uses Daniel 8 to highlight events that would take place both throughout history to come from Daniel's perspective and also at the end of the age. So the final generation can recognize the pattern of history and be alert. Let's just read this, Daniel 8, 15 through 19. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. I heard the voice of a man between the banks of the Uli. And he called out and said, and said, and he called out and said, Gabriel, explain the vision to this man. So he came near to me where I was standing. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. And he said to me, son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. So there it is the first time. This vision is talking about the time of the end. Now, when he was talking with me, I was dazed with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand at my place. And he said, behold, I'm going to inform you of what will occur at the final period of the indignation. It's talking about the end of the age. And he says it again, because it pertains to the appointed time of the end. So if you have any doubt related to Daniel 8 being an end time passage, these verses should totally wipe that away. We should understand that Daniel 8 is pointing to the end of the age. Let it be the end of the age and the day of the Lord is not something meant to take the praying church by surprise. Here's the point. God wants his people to be informed and to understand the times and the seasons, the events leading up to his return. God promised to release signs of the times for the church to be able, be able to discern the times and the seasons before his return. We did a whole series on signs of the times. You read those, Matthew 24, or you read 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, to understand that we're not to be taken off guard. We can have understanding. 
He wants us to fully partner with his heart and actually participate in what he's called the church to do. At the end of the age, as believers, we have a specific role. We have things that God is asking us to do. There's a manner in which we are to live, and that's why he gives us signs so that we can recognize the hour of his return and that we might live a life wholehearted, in agreement, despite the difficulties, despite the challenges, that we'd be a people of prayer, a people of agreement, a people who would say yes, despite the hardships. 1 Peter 4.7 is one of my favorite verses related to the end of the age. It says, The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. In light of the end of the age, what we're called to do is to pray. We're called to be of sober spirit. We're called to be alert and aware of what is going on around us so that we can partner with God in prayer. That's part of our destiny as the end time church. Okay, let's look at the little horn, the next part of the vision, verses 9 through 12. And out of one of them, out of one of the four horns of the male goat, meaning from one of the leaders, came a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. That's speaking of Israel. It grew up to the heavenly lights. And some of the lights, that is, some of the stars, it threw down to the earth and it trampled them. It even exalted itself to be equal with the commander of the army. And it removed the regular sacrifice from him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And because of an offense, the army will be given to the horn along with the regular sacrifice. And it will hurl truth to the ground and do as it pleases and be successful. So the primary fulfillment of the little horn will be seen in the Antichrist at the end of the age. These verses are talking about the end times opponent to God, the Antichrist, the man who will develop an empire that is more wicked than we've ever seen with the most rage against Israel, the Jewish people that we've ever seen. However, many Bible teachers would agree that this prophecy finds partial fulfillment in Antiochus IV Epiphanes. So this character, this person throughout history, is a foreshadow of the coming Antichrist. And throughout history, there's been many foreshadows of the Antichrist. People like Adolf Hitler or Antiochus Epiphanes, and there's many others throughout history that have operated kind of in this Antichrist spirit where they're power-hungry and they persecute Israel and the Jewish people. There's hatred and rage towards Israel and the Jewish people. And so Antiochus Epiphanes is one of the clearest pictures throughout history of the character of the Antichrist. I believe the Antichrist will carry out things Antiochus did to a whole new level on a, on a level that we've never seen before. So Antiochus reigned over the Seleucid Empire from about 175 to 164 BC. Antiochus even exalted himself, like the scripture says, claiming to have God status. This was kind of a normal thing for empires and for emperors and rulers that they would exalt themselves. They are God status. They have, you know, godlike characteristics. They believe that. He even gave himself the name Epiphanes, which translates as God manifest. I mean, the arrogance here in this guy, he actually called himself God manifest. 
Antiochus also conquered Jerusalem in 164 BC. And what he did while he was there is telling of what the Antichrist will do. He desecrated the temple by setting up a Greek altar to Zeus. And he sacrificed a pig on the altar. He certainly desecrated the temple. Can you believe that God did not just smite him in that moment? Did not just shock him with lightning and kill him in that moment? Well, I believe the Lord allowed that to happen, maybe for other reasons, but certainly to foreshadow what will happen at the end of the age so that me and you, as part of the end time church, can look back at history and say, okay, we know that if this happened partially then, it will happen in fullness in an hour yet to come, and we can be alert, watching, and ready when we see those things take place. He forced Jews not to practice the Sabbath or read the Torah, and under his reign, many died in persecution. He persecuted the Jewish people. The Antichrist at the end of the age will persecute the Jewish people greater than we've ever seen in history. Antiochus Epiphanes is a foreshadow of the end of the age Antichrist. Paul tells us that before the Antichrist, or the man of lawlessness, emerges, that something is restraining him. Now this is very interesting. Daniel 8, verses 23 through 25. And in the latter period of their dominion, when the wrongdoers have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue, and his power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and be successful and do as he pleases. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people and through his shrewdness he will make deceit a success by his influence and he will make himself great in his own mind and he will destroy many while they're at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes but he will be broken without human but he will be broken without human agency. I believe that the scripture is literally talking about that moment where Satan gives him his throne and his authority and he goes on to conquer. He's mighty. It's not in his own power. He's been given the power of Satan and the authority and the throne of Satan and he will be successful. He'll destroy mighty men. He'll destroy even holy people. There will be mass martyrdom and mass tribulation for the people of God there at the end of the age. He's going to stand against Jesus, but have no fear. Jesus will conquer. Jesus will win. But I believe that right now, this restrainer verse, a lot of people believe this means that this is why you know they, they use this as a verse to prove that the church gets uh, taken out before the tribulation begins because the church is actually restraining the Antichrist from emerging. And I just don't think that holds any water. I don't think the, the Bible has anything to uh, back that up with, but I do believe that right now the person who is restraining the Antichrist from emerging on the face of the earth and conquering in that sort of way is Satan in the heavenlies. And when he comes down, when the angels kick him out of heaven, then he will give his authority to the beast and the beast will emerge and we'll see it's kind of it's Satan's last kind of straw to do whatever he can do before getting cast into the lake of fire or being imprisoned for a thousand years and then cast into the lake of fire. All right. Let's look at this last point. 2,300 evenings and mornings. Verses 13 and 14, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, How long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply? So that's 
I underlined that on purpose. How long will the vision about the regular sacrifices apply while the offense causes horror so as to allow both the sanctuary and the army to be trampled? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings and the sanctuary will be properly restored. So Daniel 8 verse 14 is one of the first times in the scriptures that we get an end time time frame. We get an amount of days. We get a time frame. In, and it's key. It's important. It tells us how long the sacrifices in the temple will be taking place. That is 2,300 days. So we can know from the moment we see these sacrifices taking place at the end of the age that in 2,300 days, those sacrifices will, will happen and then they will be restored at the end of that 2,300 days. Uh, this tells us that from the moment we see the sacrifices taking place in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, we can actually begin to count down the days until Jesus restores it. This gives us an important time frame related to the return of Jesus. If we're watching and if we're praying, if we're tuned in to what's happening on the earth, we can actually be so aware. We will know the moment when Jesus set, steps foot to restore his temple for the millennial kingdom. I mean, I, that blows my mind. I'm, I'm constantly watching and waiting for sacri those sacrifices to begin to take place. We're going to see God do some amazing things at the end of the age. And he wants us to be informed. He wants us to be a part. And you can. It's, it's up to you to ask, to seek his heart, and to pray. And I believe he will release divine understanding. Amen.